might be a Viking or a Saxon or a Roman, but tell me, do you like them? Would you sex them? Would you bone them? Would you go to bed with King Ethelred? Would you bunk William the Conqueror up in the sheets with Samuel Pepys? Mussolini was a meanie, led a fascist insurrection, but does he make you creamy? Does he give you an erection? Would you pork Richard the Duke of York? Does a boner start when you think of Bonaparte? Are you sexually aroused at the thought of Pol Pot? Historical hot or not? Hello and welcome to Historical Hot or Not, the only podcast that looks at the life and times of history's most celebrated figures and says yes, but would you? It's the pod parchment that puts the tit in Titus Andronicus, the anus in Coriolanus, and the oh hello in Othello, (laughs) I'll say that again, and the oh hello in Othello. I am Aidan McCaffrey, I am not a comedian, and this is... Yeah, Aidan's not a comedian. <laughs> what, did I do something? Oh, <laughs> my name's Aidan McCaffrey, I am not a historian, nor a successful comedian, nor someone who can read a script, and this is... I'm Catherine Mather, and I'm also not a historian, but I am a comedian. Uh, this is really funny, because Aidan uh, previously introduced himself as, I'm Aidan, and I'm not a comedian, which would suggest <laughs> that he's a historian, which he also isn't. You know, I didn't pick up. I didn't pick up on the mistake. So I actually just thought you were being really cruel, like really <laughs> twisting the knife into the fact that I haven't got quite as far from my comedy career as possible. Like, <laughs> you're you're sucking at life. It's like, whoa, where's this Catherine come from? Jesus. Uh, we are two comedians that are horny for history, though, uh, and we are going to do some history at you today. You're goddamn right, Kath. I walked past a museum earlier and I was immediately stiff as a board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how hot for history I am. We've got a Pavlovian response to it now. <laughs> yeah. Before we started this pod a year ago, I'd just walk around a museum and be stimulated only intellectually. Mm-hmm. Whereas now... You know, you could hang a flag off me. Mm. That's that's how bad it's got. Yeah, oh, good, depending on how you're looking at it. But um, me and my sister went on a trip uh, just under a year ago to uh, to Gay Paris, uh, or Gay Paris, as you call it, where I'm from. I bet you couldn't get a word in edgeways from her being bukkakied by dozens of Frenchmen on this trip. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, men are very transparent. Me and my sister look very similar and they always go for the younger model um but, uh we went to the louvre i don't know if you've heard of it got some nice pictures in there and uh we did uh, a, a very funny photo series where my sister took pictures of me with all of the um the the, the marble statues but just just dicks just me <laughs> stood next to a thousand dicks Maybe we'll put it on the Instagram. Uh, it was a wonderful... Just a Manchester girl, her sister, and 100 tiny marble antiquity penises. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, how we laugh. If this is the first time you're listening to Historical Hot or Not, it's a bit of a running joke that we make really horrible jokes about Kath's mm-hmm. sister, who isn't in the room to defend herself. Mm-hmm. So if you're thinking, God, they're, they're horrible people, we are. We, we are horrible We people. are, but she also loves it. Uh, she was angry with us for not cutting her off yes. at one point because we stopped we stopped doing it for a mm. while there was an episode recently where we were just saying nice things i was like oh hey how's how's helen you're like yeah she's good and then a few minutes later we had to correct ourselves and go oh hang on we must say something horrible and sluggy about helen 
What a, a bitch? I don't know. I really like her. We get on very well. <laughs> She's a lovely person. What a cum-drenched bitch. You know, I, 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 I've never met her. This is, it's, all, it's actually okay, I think, for you to make the jokes, Kath, because you know her, you're close to her. Mm-hmm. You get that she gets it's a joke. I've never met her. And it's now, it's now only going to be awkward when I do meet her. Because she's going to be like, are you the guy that called me a cum-drenched bitch on the podcast <laughs> just by having never met me? And I'll, be, and I'll have to look her in the eye, if I can see her eye, through the sort of <laughs> the semen that has clogged into it. I'll have to look her in that spunky eye and say, this isn't who I am, even though it very much is who I am. It is. Well, the thing is, I wouldn't worry too much about meeting my sister. Um, my mum told me in a phone call just before we were due to start recording this that uh, she's going to start listening to the pod. So um, I'd worry about my mum when she, she starts listening. I can't even tell if you're warning me that she might not like this or if you're suggesting that we should change the subject of our sexual derision from your mo- sister to your mum. Maybe. You went to Paris. You looked at some museums a year ago. I I just got back from a holiday myself. I don't believe we've discussed on pod, which is I went to Krakow in Poland for four days. Oh, I really want to go there. Kath, as a history fan and a fellow failing comedian, I think, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think you'd really like it. It's very mm. good. There's lots of interesting things there. I'd say most major European cities, yeah, they've got the museums. They've got the statues of old kings on horseback. But I'd say... Krakow has it has unusual historical features no one else has, such as the salt mine. I'm yeah. sure you're aware of the salt mine. This goes like hundreds of feet below ground. They just kept digging for salt and they just created this like cavernous network of corridors and rooms. And it's absolutely fascinating. And they built a whole church underground. Just yeah. a massive, huge fucking church. And it's beautiful. It's stunning. They let you lick the walls. They encourage you to lick the walls. Mm-hmm. They encourage you to lick the walls as if when they say, this is a salt mine, that you don't believe them. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, if you don't believe us, lick the walls. So I did. And you'll never guess what, Kath. Is it salt? Tastes of pepper. They were oh lying to us the whole time. <laughs> the pepper, pepper mine. mine. <laughs> They're in, the, they're in the grip of Big Pepper and they've been selling us a lie. <laughs> See, I, I wouldn't be too worried about the salt content. I'd be more worried about the thousands of people that have licked that wall before you. Well, I did think about this and then I thought, what are the chances of this same square inch of wall having been licked recently? I mean, pretty high if the second tour group's through and telling everyone to lick it. Yeah, actually, you're probably right because they presumably tell people to lick it at exactly the same point. Yeah. Oh, we've just gone around the second corner. Lick the walls if you want. Yeah. One day they will trace the origins of COVID and they'll realise it wasn't in Wuhan. <laughs> it was just from these saliva-covered salt walls beneath mm. the city of Krakow in Eastern Europe. If this takes off this podcast, we could create like a historical hut or not museum and we mm-hmm. can show people around and we can say, if you lick the walls, I can guarantee it'll taste of cum. Yeah, that would be what the front of house would have to do at the museum. Just like get a, a, a painting roller. Just dip it in the comment on the walls every morning. <laughs> so that'd be on the uh, like job description, wouldn't it? So yeah, yeah, it's, it's dead easy. You'll be a key holder. Uh, just come in, uh, switch the lights on, cash up. Uh, just give, <laughs> make sure all the stock in the, the gift shop is stocked up. Uh, come the walls. Uh, make sure the heating's on. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> what? What the heating? Yeah, no, we'll keep the heating on for you. We're not animals. This is historical, hot or not. Each episode, we discuss the life and times of someone from history 
And then at the end of the episode, we say whether or not we would ban them. Kath and I take it in turns. I did the last episode, which was Selim the first. He did not make it onto the Biotap Thatistry. But today, Kath is going to pick someone from history. And I will decide whether they will get on the Biotap Thatistry with fellow historical alumni, such as Jane Fool, Joseph II of Austria, Lord Byron, Mary Shelley. They're just some of the greats that we've decided uh, we would penetrate uh, in the name of historical education. Yeah. If you're listening to this at home, Etro's profile picture of the person in question on every single episode is always in the episode notes. So if you want to play along, if you want to decide whether you'd ban this uh, potential historical babe, just click on the show notes, click on the link and uh, you can play along. Over to you, Kath. I feel like I have to do this with quite a lot of my episodes, but genuinely, I think uh, that there does need to be content warning on this <laughs> son of a bitch. Um, it, <laughs> so we are talking about Erna. She is 23 and she is from Harrison. Interesting. Is this the best photo of the person, Kath? <laughs> it's quite grainy. It is quite grainy. It's the best photo of her while she's young. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so I'm looking at a black and white photo mm-hmm. of a lady with blonde hair. She's riding a motorbike because mm-hmm. presumably she's badass because this is the past. People who ride motorcycles in the past are rebels, right? Yeah. It's so hard to make a decision on this because the photo doesn't have a great fidelity. Her eyes are just sort of blacked out. <laughs> she really looks like the embodiment of evil. I've got a clearer image of her face, but the the eyes are still quite dark. I mean, you could say me in one of the role. I'm quite good at looking at an old person and, and figuring out if I'd bang them when they were younger. That's one of my, it's like a sixth sense that I have. Okay, yeah, everybody does say that about you, don't they? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, this is better. Let, let's say, yeah. Yeah. She's not like super hot, is she? But she's kind of, oh, it's just another one. Oh, God. The, the last picture you sent's awful. <laughs> it really is. That's her when she's old. But she didn't actually look that much older. She just looks worse. Yeah. Hit will do that to you, Aidan. <laughs> Where and when did you say she was born? She was born in, in Germany, uh, a little town called Harrison. She was born uh, March 1913. So it's a woman who you've already spoilt is full of hate, mm-hmm. who was born in Germany in 1913. Could I extrapolate that she came to adulthood in a potentially morally compromised time of her country's existence? Yeah, it was. Um, there, was there might have been stuff going on. <laughs> well, let's just assume nothing's going on in the 30s in Germany at the time. I'm just going to judge it just on the motorbike photo. Yes, she's quite pretty. I'm going to say yes, I would bang this person. And I just goddamn hope that when we discuss her personality, it does not make me regret this decision. <laughs> I think she's quite uh, quite pretty looking, isn't she? She's, uh, yeah, I think she's all right. Yeah, it looks, looks like um, quite amiable. Uh, anyway... Erna Kerbs was born into a farming family in Harrison, a village which was 10 miles away from Weimar in Germany's agricultural heartland of Thuringia. It was a small community of only a few hundred people. Weimar is, of course, the location of Germany's failed Weimar Republic. The area was quite right-wing. In 1925, the Volkish right-wing had begun to take over state parliament. The Nazi party district chief was calling for racial screening of all representatives. The area was so right-wing that after Hitler was incarcerated for treason following the failed Beer Hall Putsch in Munich in uh, 1923, 
The only place that he was not banned from speaking was in Thuringia, uh, since the Nazi party members were, were so influential. The area was populated by the Nazi party's perfect audience, lower middle class Protestants and farmers, and it became a model for Hitler to learn how to effectively destroy democracy legally from within. Who would you say is your perfect audience, Aidan? <laughs> Uh, well, as you know, I've got a swastika tattooed on me, so I've got to say lower-class lower class Protestants again. No, um, who's my perfect audience? It's interesting, yeah, because it's something you've got to figure out as a comedian, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, mine is women aged 18 to uh, maybe about 38. <laughs> That's why you're doing better than me at Comedy Cat, because you figured this shit out. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I walk into every gig and I can just feel that lottery machine in my head producing those. Is it going to produce some balls of laughter tonight? Uh, or am I going home empty-handed again? I actually think I'm the opposite. I think older people think I'm quite funny. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes have troubles with younger audiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they seem a bit baffled by me, especially as my stand-up is kind of largely... It's about being a middle-class homeowner and what a, what a great big... Uh, equity ponce I am mm-hmm. and I think if you're 22 just out of union struggling to find a job you, you kind of struggle to see the funny side in that yeah there's not much crossover there is there no but you know old people and the landed gentry they fucking love me oh yeah this area of Germany that you're talking about uh, so this is like the first state to get properly into national socialism isn't it oh yeah they fucking love it they really yeah. do <laughs> you know those kind of like NME reading pricks it's not enough that you have a shared interest in the same band. It's like, oh, when did you get into them? Oh, when you know when the second album came out, and they're like, Phew. well, I think I was into the Arcade Fire from the release of their debut EP, actually. I knew them when they were playing in a garage. <laughs> no, you didn't. But those people are very dislikable. But they're still preferable to the people who are like, uh, well, actually, I was into National Socialism before it was cool. You don't want to be bragging about having the Japanese seven-inch import of uh, fascism. It's not cool. <laughs> Not cool. All of this information has come from a, a wonderful book called Hitler's Furies, and it, it's got loads of uh, interesting stories about women who did terrible things in Nazi Germany as well, because we, we tend to forget that women can be mean too. The reason, well, I'll, I'll, you'll come to understand why, I'll tell you at the end, why I've chosen this particular individual to discuss, but there's so many horror bags in that book, I really recommend <laughs> reading it. Uh, it really is a, it's a brilliant, brilliant book. Do you reading it, Kath, because you hate yourself? <laughs> you, you have to read it to go, do you know what, I'm not that bad. Yeah, I thought that was yeah. awful. Yeah. I actually think I'm an alright person. Yeah, I've never been into a ghetto, picked a child up by its ankles and smashed it to death against a wall. I'm a great person. Kath, let's end the episode here. I would have sex with this person. <laughs> I've decided. Yeah. Definitely a yes. Oh, no, that wasn't this lady. That was another lady in that book. Just for a little taste of what you can have. Nom, nom, nom. So, Erna went to a public school for seven years and then spent a year in a neighbouring town working as a household servant. Beyond that, she, like all other women in her essence, would work sun up to sun down in the farm for no formal pay. And education wasn't really considered necessary for women. In 1936, when Erna was 16, she attended a local dance where she met 23-year-old Horst Petri, a tall and apparently handsome SS man who had big plans to restore the honour of his father who died in World War I, or uh, the Great War as I think they called it then. They called World War I the Great War. 
it was very much like Spider-Man 1. We all loved it. But then when we saw Spider-Man 2, we were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a new best superhero film in town. That's what they felt about World War II. Yeah. It's like, this is, the, this is the great war. Yeah, you want to see a war? This is a war. Not that three-star war we did 20 years ago. No. This, this, is, this is the five-star banger here. So after being with Horst for a year, Erna became pregnant, and they married in July 1938. Erna's father did not like Horst and was unhappy that he was marrying his daughter. The marriage, however, raised Erna's status from a farmer's daughter to the wife of an SS officer. Uh, so it worked out pretty well for her. In November 1938, Horst Jr. was born, and in January 1943, their daughter was born. Couldn't find any details about her. Don't worry about it, she's a girl. <laughs> in the summer of 1942, Horst and Erna were sent to Eastern Galicia in Poland uh, by Himmler's Race and Resettlement Office to cultivate a plantation. Plantations, of course, nothing bad has ever happened on them. <laughs> At this point, things were going fairly well for Germany in the war. By the end of 1942, almost 1.5 million acres of farmland between the Black Sea and the Baltic were controlled by the SS. They lived in a white-pillared manor, and while the rolling hills that surrounded them were beautiful, the plantation was a place of horror. Do you think you could live in a house that was uh, considered a, a place of horror? Could I live in a place of horror? Are you talking about, I've bought some land that used to be on which something horrific used to happen, or you've bought a house and the back garden looks over a concentration camp? Uh, I mean, whichever interpretation you want to make of it, really, Aidan. I'm just going to say... House of Horror, bit of an equity killer. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, because I live kind of near to Dennis Nielsen's house, right? You know the really, yeah, the serial killer. And wow. his well, it was a flat, wasn't it? Uh, it went on sale relatively recently. I want to say like the last ten years or so. Um, and I don't know, like it was in the newspaper and it got snapped up. But I don't know if that was because it was relatively. I don't want to say cheap for the area, but not a, you know not as expensive as it could have been, or if that was because someone was like, "Yeah, I want to live where people got killed." I honestly think like the London property market effect overrides any historical atrocities that might have been done there. If Auschwitz was located in Zone Two, you'd be seeing some seven-figure sums on that property. I'm telling you, Kath. Yeah, no, I agree. People could be getting killed there now, and you'd be like, "I'll overlook it if the rent's cheap enough." It's interesting they left it up. I know the Fred West and Rosemary West house, they bulldozed that to the ground, didn't they? They did, yeah. But I think that's because that was a house, whereas it's a top floor flat in what is just essentially a house. So it would be unfair <laughs> to the other tenants, wouldn't it? Because so. they built a, a play, I think they built a playground on top of the thing where they bulldozed the West. Mm. It would be weird if they bulldozed the fifth floor of a London of a London block of flats. <laughs> yeah. And just had some swings on the top. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like people constantly ringing the doorbell. Can I go through your house? I need to get to the top so my child can go down the slide. And it's like, <laughs> fucking hell. Fourth one today. Mm. Jesus. Just take the whole house, please. You do have to tell people, right? Yeah. Oh, by the way, N Nielsen killed loads of people here. But look at all that natural light. Mm. You don't you don't get that in many places in London. It's like, well, I might discover a new body, but God, that is a spacious kitchen. Yeah. I mean, it's fairly well documented, the address. God, I don't know, like, Google the address that you're about to move into. <laughs> sure. Would be my suggestion. 
Uh, talking of this uh, house of horrors, uh, by the second day, the second day of moving in, you've not even unpacked your boxes. Uh, you're still living out of uh, bin liners, trying to find which one's got your knickers in it. By day two, Ernest are horse-beating labourers. He would also sexually assault the female household servants. He viewed it as establishing his authority, while neighbouring farmers called him a sadist who enjoyed violence. Horst initiated raids in neighbouring villages, and in the summer of 1943, they hunted down Jews who had fled from, a get- from ghetto liquidations and who had escaped from railway carriages heading for the gas chamber. Erna took Horst's lead and joined in the violence towards the household staff. They really were going above and beyond when it came to being cunts. <laughs> oh, God. Kath, this podcast, we take it in turns to drive the episode. One, you know, this episode, Kath's telling me a story, I'll tell us another. It's both of our responsibility to try and be funny. But, mm-hmm. Kath, sometimes it does feel like, you know, if this was a game of poker, you're very <laughs> much dealing me a two and a seven offsuit. <laughs> I'm not sure what I can do with this. Mm-hmm. Hopefully I'm on the dealer button and I can just blag my way out of this with some good bets because otherwise I'm fucked comedically in this episode. <laughs> you are. And it, it's funny that you say this now because this next bit is... Worse. Oh, good grief. It, oh, it, it upset me to write this next bit. So, Strapping listeners, get ready for some 1930s Nazi comedy. Yep. One sunny day. In the summer of 1943, Erna was returning home from Lviv in a horse-drawn carriage. She spotted six terrified and hungry children, aged between six and twelve, crouching on the side of the road in rags. She said it occurred to her that these were the children who broke out of the boxcar at the train station in Sashkal. She took them home, gained their trust, and fed them. She waited for horse to come home, and when he didn't, she took the six children to a pit in the woods and told them to line up facing away from her. She held the pistol four inches away from the first child's neck and shot them, then moved down the line. She said that after she'd shot the first two, the others were at first shocked and began to cry. They did not cry loudly, they whimpered. She shot until all of them lay in the gully. None of the children tried to run away since it appeared that they already had been in transit for several days and were totally exhausted. Not, not a great person, right? Kath, you read this, read this book about Nazi bitches. I can't tell if you've picked this one because she's the worst. I'm actually worried you've picked this one because she's the nicest. Yeah, that's the thing. Aiden, this was the best of a bad bunch, mm. honestly. <laughs> she is comparatively quite a good guy <laughs> against some of the other people in that book. Well, you did mention one of them was chucking babies against walls. Mm-hmm. So. Like, At least this not... woman made the kids look away as she did her horrible business. Yeah. I am. Um, the reason I wanted to, to discuss her is, I guess, because that awful reasoning that men are bad and women are good, that is not always the case. And also that I would argue that the women are worse in this situation because she could have just lived quietly on that plantation. Uh, she could have treated people nicely. It, it could have been a bit like Schindler's Factory, couldn't it? She could have took people in and looked after them there. And uh, she she really threw herself the other way. <laughs> yeah. It it wasn't, I was just following orders. Yeah, it does sound like this lady has fallen off the country and hit every branch on the way down, but because she was aiming to hit every branch on the way down. <laughs> yeah, she was throwing herself. 
at every cunting branch on that cunting tree. Don't cushion this blow. I'm going to hit every branch and then make sure there's a cunt bush at the bottom that I can fall <laughs> into that one as well and hit all the little branches on that cunt bush because mm-hmm. uh, I'm fully intending to be a total cunt. Yeah, then I'm going to go inside and eat a bowl of cunt soup. <laughs> yes. <laughs> as well, if you look at the before and after pictures, she does look young and sort of full of hope and then she looks sad and full of hate. Well, the second photo you sent me, I'm right in thinking, was that that was a mugshot, right? Yeah, it was. Do you reckon that is, she's sad because she's being caught, or do you reckon she is, that the evil has weathered her in some way? Well, uh, we'll get to that. You know the comedian, have you heard of him? Mm -hmm. You know he did bad things Mm -hmm. to women. Now, I always really liked him up until I found out what he did. But, you know, he's like a a scrawny, nerdy white man who does fun things with laptops. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, I thought, yeah, yeah, I like him. He's cool. He's like me. When I found out what he did, I I look at photos of him now, and I think you can see it in his eyes. I think you can see in his eyes that he'd done bad things. He just looks tired in some way, like it's preying on him in the inside. But But I do think it's something... You can sort of only see once you know. But maybe it's the same with this lady. Knowing what she did, we can read the evil into her face. I don't know. Are we allowed to uh, talk about the bad things that he's he's done? Are they, are they, or are they alleged bad things that he might have done? Don't worry, Kath. When I edit this, <laughs> I'll look up to see what, what he's... I'll bleep his name out. All right. So, on the 8th of May, 1945, the Nazis surrendered. And it was around that time that the good times stopped for the likes of Erna and Horst Petra. <laughs> the Allied forces had promised to try and bring to justice those who had committed war crimes. Some were tried and hung quickly during the retreat. Others were taken prisoner until the Nuremberg trials. The American prosecutors had a list of two million people that they had to whittle down to a few hundred major war criminals, meaning that justice was not served to all of the people that deserved it. When asked about her crimes of shooting Jewish men and children, Erna said, In those times, as I carried out the shootings, I was barely 23 years old, still young and inexperienced. I lived amongst men who were in the SS and carried out shootings of Jewish persons. I seldom came into contact with other women in the course of the time because I became more hardened, desensitised. I did not want to stand behind the SS men. I wanted to show them that I, as a woman, could conduct myself as a man. So I shot four Jews and six Jewish children. I wanted to prove myself to the men. Besides, in those days, in this region, everywhere one heard that Jewish persons and children were being shot, which also caused me to kill them. Sisters are doing it for themselves. (laughs) Right, what a shitty... (laughs) She was just being a girl boss. What of it? God. She was the original girl power. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. That's mental. Look, other people were doing it. Why couldn't I? Also, what's with this like prick quota they've got at Nuremberg? Is that a recognition of the fact that Nazism is cultural and you can't arrest like a third of a country? I don't know. What's the, what's the deal there? Well, yeah, I guess it's probably something like that, isn't it? Because you do have to sort out the genuine cruelty brigade from the just following orders brigade don't you and then also there's the moral question of if you're just following orders is the person filling out the paperwork that is you know getting people killed as culpable as the person pulling the trigger the person starving people to death i I imagine it's quite a difficult uh thing to work out also whilst the clock is very much ticking because it's giving people if you think too much about it then people can escape right 
And people did, because obviously there was the rat lines that went to mainly Argentina. Mm-hmm. Did I tell you my granddad escorted one of the most high-profile Nazis to the Nuremberg trials? <laughs> you didn't, and I'm so glad that he was the one doing the escorting. <laughs> So I got it the wrong way around. My granddad was escorted to the Nuremberg trials. Uh, <laughs> you say my granddad was in in the SS. No, no, my granddad. Yeah, he's Rosenberg. Wow. Yeah, he was one of the senior guys. And it's funny because my grandma always said she couldn't remember the name, but she was like, "Oh, he's one of the big ones." I just remember he had a Jewish name. And I was like, "What? Hey, what?" But yeah, you look him up, and the, there's the Rosenberg guy. Wow. And, uh, Obviously, the fact that he was called that did lead to questions within the sort of Nazi hierarchical structure uh, about his genealogy. Yeah. I've Googled pictures of him, like Nuremberg, Rosenberg, desperate to... I just thought it'd be cool to see my granddad like, standing behind him, but yeah. alas, he's not that. I think he escorted him there. My granddad was not present in the room, which uh, it would've, that would have been interesting. Yeah, he was more of a taxi driver. Dropped him <laughs> up at the door. <laughs> have a good one, lad. Enjoy your <laughs> evening. <laughs> Make sure you give me a five-star review. <laughs> An Uber driver for fascists. That's my yeah. granddad. Yeah, but transporting them the right way. Wasn't escorting them into power, very much escorting them out of power. Mm-hmm. Did your grandfather have anything to say about him? This is the annoying thing. Because my granddad was relatively young, like 13, I think. Right. So I only found this out from my grandma, no. who's now also passed. Uh, yeah, it's a shame. It's one of those things that's lost to history. Like, oh, it would have been interesting to say, like, do you chat with him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we text. <laughs> What do you talk about when you're escorting a man to a, a war trial? Like, oop, interesting weather in a, here in Nuremberg today. Mm. <laughs> so what was his job? Well, my granddad. Yeah, like how, how, why, how did he get there? He was an officer. Oh, okay. Oh, right. So it was just, the, of course, they yeah. used the army to transport yeah. people. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. He was, a, he was an officer. At, he was trained at Sandhurst. So yeah, mm-hmm. just, he, got, he got that responsibility, which is interesting. Okay. And to think... His grandson has <laughs> kept <laughs> that socio-political legacy alive by doing a podcast where we ask, would we have sex with people from history? <laughs> You'd be so proud. There's a little bit of jumping around here, uh, but it, I mean, so uh, she gets arrested, but we'll get to that a bit later on. She uh, and during that inter- uh, interrogation, she was asked how she could shoot innocent Jewish children as a mother of two herself, and she said, "I'm unable to grasp at this time how, in those days, that I was in such a state as to conduct myself so brutally and reprehensibly, shooting Jewish children. However, earlier, before arriving at the estate, I had been so conditioned to fascism and the racial laws which established a view towards the Jewish people, as was told to me, I had to destroy the Jews." It was from this mindset that I came to commit such a brutal act. It's difficult, isn't it? Because, well, it's not difficult. Don't shoot kids. But it must be hard as a child to be taught all things one way. Did you say she was born in 1913? Yeah. She didn't have that excuse, though. No, right? she didn't. You're right. Because she's, she's an adult <laughs> by the time the Nazis come into power. I still think you're very young and impressionable when you're 20. It's like as you get yeah. older, you realise how foolish you were even five or six years ago. Yeah. So I, don't, I don't know if she can... She can't play this, oh, I was just a naive person, naive member of the Hitler Youth, yeah. swayed by the, the, the propaganda of National Socialism. Yeah. Unless you could be in the Hitler Youth up until up and comfortably into your 30s. I don't <laughs> think that one counts, does it? No, fair enough. I think... Uh... I agree. She can't. She's just there, 32 years old, in like a sort of scout uniform <laughs> that barely gets over a midriff and it's like, I'm still a child. 
Erna is 35, but to qualify for her inheritance, she has to go back to the Hitler Youth. Rebel Wilson stars in this summer's wildest comedy, Kindergarten Nazi. You must have been hard for the little kids, though. Oh, I've got full sympathy. Yeah, no, totally. Like, Not for her. Yeah, like you, because, yeah, it's full-on indoctrination. Have you seen Jojo Rabbit? I have, yes. I watched Jojo Rabbit on the plane back from Australia. Um, I loved it. It's about a little boy whose best friend, invisible friend, is Hitler. It's a great film. I love it. It's really, it really divides opinion, though. Like, mm. it's a real love. Hate. So many people just hate it. Mm. And I do get it, because it's like... It's not whimsical is the wrong word, but it is sort of a zany comedy up mm-hmm. until the point that it's not, yeah. without spoiling anything. Yeah. And Taika Waititi as a sort of rubber-faced, silly Hitler is a, an appealing comic prospect. Anyway, yeah. speaking of appealing comic prospects, let's get back to this episode that you've uh, <laughs> written for us. <laughs> so, Erna initially denied her crimes, but once the Stasi had forced her to confess, she stated that she denied her crimes as she'd assumed that her husband would cover her for her, and he did not. <laughs> <laughs> um, love, can you come outside? Uh, yeah, why? Uh, the number seven bus is almost here, and I absolutely have to throw you under as quickly <laughs> as possible. Right. Um, would you would you cover would you cover for your wife? Well, if she'd done what? If she'd been killing Jewish children, probably not. If she'd accidentally forgotten sending a couple of receipts for for a, for a tax submission, <laughs> yeah, I, I might tell a cheeky white lie to get her out of trouble. It's very much a sliding scale with these things, isn't it, Kath? Yeah, you're right. I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on the fifteenth of September, nineteen sixty-one, she was interrogated from eight a.m. to one a.m following day with only one hour break for lunch and dinner when asked what crime she committed she admitted to beating workers one of whom was a blacksmith who was standing as a witness against her and she said she remembered the shooting of jewish men who were being caught on the farm after escaping a train headed to lublin from lviv erna and horst stood trial in east germany erna being one of the few women to be convicted of her crimes 12,890 people stood trial in East Germany for Nazi-related war crimes between 1945 and 1989. I wonder why they stopped counting in 1989. She was arrested (laughs) in August 1961, which is quite late, really, isn't it? Horst had been arrested a year earlier uh, in 1960, because that's how time works, um, for (laughs) alleged anti-state activities. The Stasi had picked up on this from reading his letters to his son who had fled to West Germany in 1957 and in which he made critical comments about the state and they suspected him of sabotaging the latest collectivisation drive. Upon searching the Petri's house, they did not find much to spot the suspicions. However, they did find a guest book listing the names of senior SS officers and police and photographs of their house showing Horst in his uniform. I believe there was an interview with uh, their daughter who said that if they'd have known it, they'd have just thrown the album away. But they just kept it because they quite liked it. Testimony from 17 witnesses, mostly Polish and Ukrainian former labourers on the estate, stated that the couple had tortured and murdered forced labourers as well as Jewish people who were hiding in the surrounding forests, barns and stables. On the 31st of August 1962, they were interrogated for three hours together, being asked to confirm or deny each other's crimes. They stood trial together, which is, is nice, isn't it, when couples do things together like that? You've got to remember, if you've been married or going out for years and years, 
have that cinema day once, like once a month, go and see a film, go for a restaurant meal, go and stand trial together for war crimes. Just do something. Yeah, make time. Just make sure, <laughs> make time for each other. Stand in front of a jury who are accusing you of uh, horrific acts against humanity. As long as you're out there doing something together, you're going to have a healthy relationship. Exactly. It's, it's sweet. Aww. The couple that stand trial for war crimes together stay together. <laughs> That's what I've always said. <laughs> As my grandfather always used to say after his conversation hey. with Rosenberg. <laughs> my grandfather, who was on the Allied side, just to make absolutely clear. <laughs> just, he was on the Allied side. He was a good guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, they don't have to be, do they? Uh, Churchill, <laughs> absolute cunt. So they stood trial together. It was the 10th to the 15th of September, which is quite quick. Uh, 1962, Horst uh, being quite reserved, while Erna was so forthcoming about the details of her crime that the judge had to cut her off saying, thank you, we've heard enough. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which is, wow, I mean, the confidence. You go, girl. Yeah. I remember the first time I got in trouble at school. You know when they demonstrate in school, they put, like, paper towel inside a glass mm. and then they put a seed on the outside of it. Mm. So and then they'll put some water in so you can see it sprout. Yeah. And they said, don't do not do this. Don't waste paper towels. So for some reason, me and my friends went around the back and just started like shoving shoving paper towels down the toilet. Mm. I don't know why we did it. And yeah, we got, we got told off. And I remember mm. as we were getting told off, the two guys I was with, Martin and Oliver, the head teacher said, why are you in trouble? And they were like going, I don't know. I don't know why we're here. It's a total mystery. Mm. I don't know what we're doing. And he asked me and I went, we were wasting paper towels. <laughs> <laughs> he re- he said, Aiden, you go off and enjoy the rest of your lunchtime. You two are staying here. Mm. And it was a valuable lesson, Kath. Tell the truth. And I think that's what's happened to this lady, mm. this Nazi lady. I think early on she's learned the value of telling the truth. So she's just up there listing dead body after dead body after dead body until the judge goes, oh, yeah, okay, right, right, we get it. We get it. You're an awful human being. You can stop now. Thank you for being honest. You can go yeah. home. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been an amazing response. <laughs> Since you are honest, you can go and enjoy the rest of your lunch. Really? I just confessed to murdering labourers in my in my own field. Nope. But you told the truth. That's the most important thing. Off you pop. <laughs> I'm so glad that's not how the Nuremberg trials worked. Oh, yeah, Can you imagine too. that? My granddad giving Rosenberg a lift back. I've got to be honest, I'm surprised <laughs> to see you. I, I thought it was a one-way trip. It's like, I just told the truth. <laughs> they, they said, that was a horrendous thing you spent the last 15 years do- doing. But you are honest, and that's what counts. <laughs> <laughs> So the judge's final statement said, it is in the interest of the establishment of a democratic people's justice and essential that these crimes be uncovered without regard to the passage of time. Which I agree. Um, I, don't, yeah. I don't understand how it's like, oh, what? No, it's so, I'm so sorry. It's, it, it's been five years, so fraud isn't real anymore. Oh, God. Um, yeah, they have this, it's, an, it's a big thing in America, statute of limitations. Mm. Even in like mad stuff like rape, it's like, well, it was it was over twenty five years ago, so nothing much we can do about it. It's yeah. like, what are you insane? A crime's a crime. Yeah, it's not like Hitler would have been okay from nineteen seventy onwards. He <laughs> he's still bad. Yeah. So Erna had tried to shield her husband from her own crimes in the trial, unlike during the interrogation. But the judge was of the opinion that Horst was in part responsible for her crimes. The court said that. Between the two defendants, there are differences, and that Erna's case 
one must consider that she became a murderer because of her husband's profound influence. The constant interactions with the SS beasts in Rosenda, which was the name of the house, were a considerable factor in causing her to commit crimes. Which, I mean, I guess, yeah, but she'd been put in a position where she'd literally been given a gun and people she could shoot. But I think that if that had have happened elsewhere, she probably would have done too, whether he was there or not, right? These things are always a test of how you react in these situations. Mm-hmm. And it's, always, it's very easy now to look back at Nazi Germany with our post-civil rights attitudes to things mm-hmm. and go, oh, well, I would have stood up for them. It's like, yeah, but so many people in Germany did not stand up to them. That's the thing. Because yeah. so many people, I do think it's true now, if it doesn't directly affect you and your life's okay, and even worse, if you think maybe there's some benefit to it, Mm. Uh, the Nazis did take an absolutely wretched German economy and uh, make it better. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, that was enough. I'm not, I'm not trying to excuse her. Those those situations are always a test, and uh, I think she failed the test. She did fail the test real bad. <laughs> she got a C. Yeah. A cunt. I, I agree with you. I think that um, it's easy to say what you would do when you're in the safety of not having people come and knock at your door and throw you in a camp or shoot you. Uh, isn't it? But I, uh, yeah, I think I would certainly be a coward and would not be able to stand up to people in a way that I dream that I would be able to. But it's, um, I guess, you never know until you're in that situation. I might, I might have really pulled it out of your bag, but I, I doubt it. Catherine, here a little insight to how my mind works. Go on. We installed a dishwasher, mm-hmm. and we had to sort of thread the pipe under the floor from the dishwasher to the drain and my wife went down there and like, was crawling around them and the spider webs to sort of fit it in she's very brave much braver than me while this was happening I looked at the floor and thought you could hide Jews under there you could hide Jews under my kitchen floor but again like, I can't assume that I would have been some great guy no. if I was in Nazi Germany in because you just don't know you actually faced with a decision I could do that but I might die do you actually do it we all like to think we would I like to think I would but it would be vainglorious to assume that is something that you would definitely do. And the only people we can give any credit for that are the people that actually did do things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So Horst received the death penalty. Whee! Uh, he died by guillotine, <laughs> aged 49 on the 22nd of December 1962 at Leipzig Prison. Didn't even get to see Christmas, but at least his family could get the stuff, the money back. Christmas can be expensive with all the presents, mm-hmm. and they're probably thinking, well, it is sad that he's gone, but for one less present to buy, am I right? Exactly. I'm keeping that TK Maxx voucher for myself, I think. <laughs> uh, he was cremated and he was buried in an unmarked grave. Erna was sentenced to life in prison, and she did not go quietly. She retracted all of her statements, making pleas for release that were routinely rejected. She wrote long, reflective letters to the prosecutor's office, but she never expressed any remorse for her actions. She then tried to throw her husband under the bus again, claiming that she had defended Jewish people. Horst had silenced her. Finally, she made claims about her unfair treatment by East German investigators, having been shown a forged document of a signed confession from her husband detailing her crimes, and she accepted the blame, trying to defend him. Had Erna lived in West Germany, she likely wouldn't have been tried or convicted of her crimes as conviction rates were much lower over there. In West Germany? Yeah. Really? Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Erna was 69 years old in November 1989 when the Berlin Wall came down. 
She wrote a letter in December 1989 to West German lawyers asking them to review her kids. Ernest's children lobbied for the release of their mother. In 1992, the year I was born, she was eventually released from prison on health grounds. It had been suggested that an underground SS organisation called Silent Aid may have made a successful case to the district court in Stolberg for her release. Erna died in July 2000, aged 80. 200 people, which was everyone in the village that she lived in, attended her funeral. Wow. That's so many people. That's quite a lot. Yeah. Why so many showing up? Why so many showing up? Well, because she's just an old lady who was put into prison for a really long time and she was misunderstood and she was a lovely mother, I should imagine. Are you telling me that she's the Deirdre Barlow of East Germany? Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) That's what people think of her. (laughs) That's the thing, isn't it? When you see like a, a little old lady... Or, that, I guess that's the angle that Harvey Weinstein was going for, wasn't it? With the, the Zimmer frame and stuff like, yes. look at me, I'm harmless. Well, we, we did the episode of Mother Teresa a couple of weeks ago. I guess she had that going for her. Like, she did mm. awful things, but everyone was just like, oh no, she's just this little old olive-skinned lady from the Med who helps people in war zones. And it's like, eh, no, look, look into her, the story a little bit more. If Hitler had just been a woman, maybe we... <laughs> and it made it to 75, maybe we'd all have a little bit more sympathy. Maybe. Oh, it's just Mrs. Hitler. Just leave her be with a blue rinse <laughs> and, and a knitting club. Yeah, she did some bad things in the past, but look at her. She's harmless. Historical hot or not. So, I guess um, the only thing left to ask is, Aidan, would you fuck Erna Petri? Yes. Cool. We'll see you next week for another <laughs> episode of Historical Hot Uh no, no, I think she's a pretty bad person. There's no real humility or remorse. She just changes the story and tries to claim things she admitted she did do, she didn't. Tries to blame it on her husband. There's just no sense of personal responsibility. Uh, there's an amazing film called The Act of Killing. It's a documentary. In Indonesia, in the 60s, the government basically said to like all the local gangsters, if you kill ethnic Chinese people and communists, that's fine by us. You won't be punished for it because it just helped them politically to get rid of them. And this filmmaker just goes in and just talks to them and just asks them what they got up to back then. And he says, you can describe the killings if you want in whatever way you want to do. And it's fucking fascinating because mm. it starts off and they're just really like, oh, yeah, and we sometimes get a bit of string and like garrot them. And he goes, oh, did you ever think about, does it ever play in your mind what you did? And the guy's like, Sometimes the bodies come into my mind and I just do a little dance. Wow. Little dance. Yeah, no, I'm not kidding. And it just starts doing this like little, silly little old man dance. Mm. I'll just do a little dance like this to shake it off. It's just like, what the... And it's weird. Some of the people don't care what they did and some of them, they recreate how they did it. They make this really fucking awful little gangster film mm-hmm. to show you what they did. But there's one guy who... By the end of it, having been forced by this documentary to think about what he did, is is literally retching. Like, I'm not kidding. He's retching on screen. And it's like he's trying to expel the guilt out of him in some way. It's one of the most weirdly harrowing, emotionally harrowing things I've seen. And you, all, I almost feel sorry for him in as far as there is remorse there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you think back to something you did 10, 20, 30 years ago um, and you're sort of embarrassed by it. Like, was that me? It's like, no, that wasn't me. The young me is someone totally different. Mm-hmm. But obviously the mistakes we're thinking of 
uh, are slightly different. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, oh, God, I can't believe I got my hair cut into those bangs. That looks awful. <laughs> Whereas there's people in the world who the alien person to them, that is their younger self, is like a murderer mm. or a mass murderer. And I'm just not getting the impression from this lady that, like, she had any of that remorse. No. So, no, she's not getting on to the biotech artistry. Good. I'm not sorry about it. Good. I'd love to have fucked with you, Catherine, just be like, <laughs> no, yeah, I'm, put, I'm putting her on. No, mm. I don't care. I'm putting her on. No, no, you don't understand. She rode a motorbike <laughs> when she was 23. So And she looked... And she looked quite cool on it. <laughs> so therefore she's going on the biotech artistry. Thanks for listening to this. I will say we've recorded these out of order slightly. So the next episode is recorded. And I can promise you listeners, if you're listening to this fucking disturbed as fuck thinking, there's nothing funny about this. I promise you the next episode is about a nice person. <laughs> we've already got it in the can. It was a, just a lovely man who lived 100 years ago who didn't murder people in Nazi Germany, mm-hmm. we promise. He was a sweetheart. Sources for this episode, uh, it's, to be honest, largely all come out of the book Hitler's Furies uh, by Wendy Lauer, Lower. Um, a wonderful book. That, well, it, I mean, it's bleak, I'll be honest with you. It, it's quite, it is quite sad. But uh, very interesting, and I would say kind of an aspect of history that... Uh, that one is not frequently shown. Uh, you know, like how cats are girls, dogs are boys, men are bad, women are good. It kind of debunks that myth. And it's quite thought-provoking. Uh, would would highly recommend. We do often slate the rich, powerful white man in history. It's just sometimes nice to point out, sometimes those honky bitches ain't so hot themselves. Exactly. Uh, all that's left to say is uh, like and share and retweet and friend and follow and listen and bop it and um <laughs> you know all, all of that shit at hot not pod on all the platforms we don't really use tiktok much anymore because we keep getting a shadow band on there for reasons that i just don't understand i mean it might be that clips of us talking about whether we'd have sex with old kings and queens it's not really tiktok material no maybe not we need to do a video of ourselves cut doing that dance from the Wednesday Netflix show. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they want on TikTok. Not us going, Aiden, would you have sex with this Nazi woman from the 30s? No. We want to see you flossing. I can floss as well. Can I'm not going to do it now, but, but I can do it. Yeah. I can't do anything that requires coordination. Anyway, <laughs> uh, spread the word, spread your legs. Thanks for listening. And remember, it's not what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside of the coffin that counts. Slick. See you next week, everybody. You have been listening to Historical Hot or Not with me, Catherine Mather and Aidan McCaffrey. Theme song by David Eagle and our logo is by Richard Todd. You can head over to co-b.com forward slash hot not pod. Over there we've got some hot not merch. We are currently selling branded condoms and branded badges. Get over there while stocks last. Kath, because we've recorded this out of sequence, mm-hmm. they will go from hearing a really slick version of that outro mm-hmm. to next week hearing this totally fuck it up again. <laughs>